Hey folks, quick note before this week's show, we had recorded this before the doubleheader on Saturday, so all of our positive thoughts about the Mets could probably be tossed out the window. Have fun. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, we, uh, we, we recorded last, the Mets had not won a game since the trade deadline. That has changed now. The Mets have won three games, uh, two games? Two games since the deadline? Just, just two, I think, just yeah. Two? Yes, okay. Um, but, one of the, but that includes a series win uh, against the Cubs. And um, I guess the reason that that's notable is that it felt at the time like this team was just so bad that there was nothing that was going to make even an individual game seem worth watching, fun, exciting, etc. because the team was playing just so poorly. Now, not that the Mets have played like world beaters this week, but the games have been competitive. Um you know, we've seen some nice pitching performances. We saw Pete Alonso continue to mash a lot of home runs. And so I guess my vibe check for you is, are the Mets more watchable today than you thought they'd be a week ago? Yeah, I suppose slightly. I think it starts like the McGill starts and the Peterson starts are probably going to lean towards slightly less watchable. But I don't know. I guess there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of optimism that maybe they'll be just competitive um, in a weird way. I, I never root against anybody in a Mets uniform unless they've done something terrible as a human being um, aside from baseball, you know, uh, but I'm a little hesitant to see <clears throat> McGill or, or Peterson be like too good the rest of the way, because I don't want the Mets to be lulled into the sense that, either one is an acceptable option for like their fourth or fifth starting job next year. Right. I, I think we, you know, we all would be very surprised if they went into a season with the rotation and looking like it does now with, with no further changes and essentially um, chose not to even try to contend next year in, in some fashion. So yeah. Um, it would be nice if those guys looked capable and then you could go into next season saying, Hey, that's, that's like a sixth or seventh guy on the depth chart where, right. Um, you know, early in the 2023 season, both of them looked like they were not major league pitchers at all. So I, I'm rooting for that. Um, in terms of how watchable the lineup is, I think it'll kind of depend day to day and we'll, we'll get into some of the changes in the lineup in, in a little bit here, but, there are still, well, let's see how injured Francisco Lindor is after, <clears throat> you know, needing to come out of the lineup last night. Right. Um, but if that's a short-term thing, there's still a lot of Lindor to watch, a lot of Pete Alonso to watch. Uh, Alonso is locked in again with home runs. It, I don't know. It, it's a very stress-free way uh, that – we can tune in or, or attend games, you know, it's just, there's some freedom in that. Um, And 
23 year old me versus 39 year old me now, you know, <laughs> that there would be a different approach to like how angry the rest of the season makes me. But we talked about it a little bit last week that the way that some of those seasons ended in the 2006 through eight era, that that's a very different feeling, you know, just total, they rip your heart out, put you in a bad mood for a week or two weeks or whatever after a season ends that way with this. I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe it's just, I'm not interacting with non Mets fans as much, but we're all kind of just, we're just here. This is not how we want to, the uh, season to go, but you know, but I don't really have to deal with it other than uh, just, just knowing that these games are not super relevant, but they're there if we want to watch them. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's one big rationalization of everything that's gone on <laughs> with the Mets, but like, what can we do? Like it's out of our control. They, they had the season they had and they, they had the deadline approach that they did. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I do wish there were like a little bit more, I don't know. Like Francisco Alvarez already established himself and and that's great. And obviously there's things that we all, you know, would love to see him improve upon uh, moving forward, but there isn't that guy right now who like if Beatty had just been called up instead of just being demoted, it could be a little more exciting that, Hey, that this is sort of the showcase for, for that prospect. Um, but I, I feel like we're at a point where we we kind of know like the status of everybody and, and those next prospects who might uh, make a big impression are going to have to do that next year. Well, there, there's one that might make an impression this year. And you mentioned Beatty and you mentioned Lindor coming out of the game last night. Could this be Ronnie Mauricio season? I, you know, there have been like 15 times that I thought he was going to get called up this year. <laughs> And I, I know a lot of people have been pointing out that his, you know, his slash line uh, in Syracuse is essentially league average. Um, I I get that, but coming off a season last year that was a, a down year in terms of it, at least his production um, at a still fairly young age, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there on giving up on him entirely. And every time the Mets don't call him up, um, it doesn't really support my case for trying to still <laughs> have some faith that that he he could be uh, a useful or even good major league player. Um, but yeah, that would be fun to get to find out. I, you know, now I'm at a point where they've chosen not to call him up so many times that I I don't think they will this season, but. If Lindor is out for even 10 days, you know, <clears throat> 10 days or, or a month or whatever, um, I don't know. Is it really going to destroy Mauricio's career to give him a shot for a, a month? Right. Uh, in an infield that, you know, Guillaume is still hurt. Escobar was traded away in June. Beatty is in Syracuse uh, with Mauricio now. I, I don't know. It, I think it it would be fun to to get to see it. Yeah, my my point with that is, if not now, when 
like if if you are unsure of his abilities and i know that you and i are speaking in more uncertain terms than people with a better knowledge of his skills and specifically the mets know way more about mauricio than we'll ever know right that's just the way these things work but if you are if you think there's a chance that mauricio is going to be able to stick as a major leaguer this seems like the optimal time to try that, especially if Lindor is hurt, even for 10 days. If you call him up and he just and he strikes out 15 times in his first 10 games and he makes weak contact and bobbles the ball five different times, whatever, if all that happens, then you have a bit more of a sense, not just for the front office, but also for the fan base, this guy's not who we all thought he was. And it will silence the nonstop call up Mauricio people on insert social media of choice uh, here. If he comes up and like has happened countless times in Major League history, he somehow improves when he jumps the level. And then Lindor comes back, well, then you have a good problem to deal with for the rest of the season. Then you got to find... Uh, you either got to find Mauricio some at bats, or you send them back down, or whatever. But that's those are all fine options if he works out. Now, every day that goes by, my hopes of him working out seem uh, they, they diminish, you know, slightly. It, pretty much every every day, uh, like you said, there have been so many instances this season where it seems like it makes so much sense to call him up, and they haven't been doing it. So that means there's not a lot of confidence in the org about this and you know i i get that to a certain degree but if you're gonna unless you are hoping in the off season to include mauricio as part of a trade i don't see a reason to not bring him up and organizations watch minor league baseball they know what he's doing in the minors you can't hide an unproductive player down there the way you maybe could have 25 years ago when there wasn't as much communication instant communication about a guy's skill set. You know, you have, if, a, if a team was scouting Mauricio, it would have to physically send a scout to watch him. Whereas now that is that certainly still happens, but with minor league baseball streams, anyone who would be interested in Mauricio already knows who he is. So I don't know what you're hiding him from by keeping him in AAA unless you really think he's not a major leaguer. Right. So I don't know. It's, it's a very strange situation, and we haven't had – one of these in a while. We have had Mets prospects not be who we hoped they'd be. That happens to every organization every year. But this guy was like the the closest the org had to a can't-miss guy a couple of years ago. And it's just slowly been decreasing, and we may never see him in a Mets uniform. And that's wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I... I do hope that we get to get that look. Um, for whatever reason, I, I've had more optimism about what Mauricio can do than Mark Vientos. Um, I don't know if that's fair or not, but it, it would just be nice to see him at least get the shot that Vientos has gotten. Um, certainly hasn't run away with it. Uh, you know, And it's possible that, that Mauricio would do the same thing, but... It would be a little something extra to to tune in for, and um, you know, have some 
cautious optimism about maybe. Uh, I know, yeah. I know for a lot of our peers, there's none, but yeah, it would, it would give me something extra to, to look for, uh, in watching this version of the Mets. Yeah. Um, I yeah. also think that this, I'm sorry, go ahead finish up. Oh yeah, no, no. I was, I was going to actually read the lineup for the first game of the doubleheader today because, <laughs> because it's, it's bad, but yeah, finish your thoughts on well, Mauricio yeah, first. Let me get Mauricio thought in here. <laughs> I was, I was going to say that um, there is a, this also seems in a way to be the safest time to bring Mauricio up. And I mean that safest in a sort of public relations kind of way. People have been shitting on the Mets system, and rightly so, for a long time as being, you know, relatively barren. And the people who are staunch defenders also have been able to say things like, well, when Mauricio comes up, et cetera, et cetera. And so if if Mauricio comes up and is a bust, that in a way, you know, hurts the reputation of the Mets system. Well, that was all true until the trade deadline. But with all the talent that they brought in at the trade deadline – I don't think Mar- I don't think Mauricio's failure will will reflect as poorly on the system as a whole if he's brought up now, and right. so you might as well do it now when people are going gaga over the Mets system. Now is the time if you're if you're trying to avoid taking the the PR hit as much as a prospect can be a PR hit. You understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, um, yeah. What's the shitty lineup? I want to hear it. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm sitting here. Oh, the Mets are pretty watchable. But today, uh, Rafael Ortega in center field is leading off. Viendras, uh playing third base, batting second. McNeil, Alonzo, Vogelback. All right. You know, that 3-4-5 that is something that at the start of the season might not have looked totally ridiculous. Uh, and then after that, Abraham Almonte in left field. Narvaez catching. DJ Stewart in right. And Jonathan Arauz in uh, at at shortstop, with Denny Reyes uh, getting the start. Oh, boy, <laughs> so th- this is worse than a road spring training game lineup. <laughs> yeah, that pretty much is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess it is exactly a road spring training game lineup, right? It's either three yeah, or four. Every three stars, yeah. <laughs> like actual major leaguers are supposed to be at every road game because. You know, ticket sales are are still super important, um, even for practice games in Major League Baseball's whole system. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that is – I don't know. I don't know if I can call that watchable. (laughs) Did Nemo play last night? Um, Good question. I only watched part of last night's game. Same. I saw much more of the Cub series than I actually thought I would at the outset, but yeah, um, did Nemo play last night? Hmm. It would appear he did. Okay, so then I, I guess they just don't want him to play too much on his still possibly not quite there injury. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they took him out. I, I saw McNeil played center field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess Nimmo played most of the game and then came out. But yeah, that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, Jeff McNeil played center field, and 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 it wasn't a big story because it didn't matter. <laughs> oh boy. Um... We briefly mentioned that Brett Beatty was demoted. Um, 
Do you think this is a smart move? Um, yeah, actually, you know, I knew that he had kind of dropped off after starting the season, hitting pretty well for his first month uh, at the major league level. But uh, and obviously he was on a tear in AAA before then. But he comes up, he you know he's he's hitting pretty well. Um, makes it very clear that he's the starter over Escobar, and then. You know, the Mets traded Escobar basically because they had nowhere to play him. He has not really found it again after the trade. Uh, That move certainly would not have made a difference in where the Mets stood at the trade deadline. But since that happened, I I would say it's been fairly surprising to look at Beatty's stats. Um, You know, never mind like playing third base, uh, position where you expect to get a good amount of offense. Um, his numbers over those last couple of months have just not even been competitive, like at all. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that makes him a bust. Uh, but honestly, having seen all that, I, I think it might have been good for him to get demoted even a little bit sooner than he did. But uh, for now, you know, go down play the rest of the month of August in, in Syracuse. And but it's still weird to me. Um, I mean, I think it's a good thing, but it's weird that minor league seasons go through most of September now. Yes. So, you know, with the changes to September call-ups, with the changes to the way the minor league season is scheduled, um, there is still baseball for him to play fairly well into September, even if the Mets don't bring him back. Uh, but hopefully he has a really good month, the you know the rest of August, and when rosters do expand, um, he's one of the guys that they bring back up. Um, you know I know it's only two extra roster spots. It's not like they don't have spots available if he proves himself ready to uh, to return sooner than that. But based on the timeline of it all, that just sort of seems like the convenient you know option. Um, so yeah, let, let's hope for that. I know he's he's already hit better since going down there than he had been hitting for the last six to eight weeks in the big leagues. So yeah, I I, I think it's a smart move, and I, I think like you said, maybe he should have been demoted sooner. I don't think the Escobar trade's a big deal at all. Um, I, I I can't imagine, like you said, having Escobar on the team would not have changed anything about the the season thus far. And just looking at what Escobar has done since he's been at the Angels, it's, it's almost – I mean, like, this is crazy. Escobar was batting 236 as, as a Met. He's batting 239 as uh, as an Angel. He was getting on base at a 286 clip as a Met, 277 as an uh, Angel, 409 slugging, 330 as an Angel. You know, it, it's not like if Escobar was here, there would have been this this great resurgence of uh, of offense um, I think it was the right move to trade Escobar. I think it's the right move to send Beatty down now. He's not a bust, like you said. If he has a hot August, comes up in September, that's great. Even if he spends the rest of the season in the tri- in AAA, which I-, I would not advocate for, but even if he did, that still does not mean he's a bust, nor does it mean he's out of the picture for next season. The lack of Beatty establishing himself as an everyday player does put a question mark on the Mets their base plans for next season. Um especially as Vientos has not exactly uh 
covered himself in glory at the position either. So I don't know what you, I don't know what you look at in terms of your third base plan for next year. Do you, do you hope that one of those two guys figures it out, or do you go elsewhere in free agency? Uh, I, I suppose a big part of that also will be dependent on the Pete Alonso situation, and if you know if people keep talking about possibly Alonzo being traded in the offseason. I don't see that happening. I think they're going to extend him. But regardless, I think if Alonzo is there next year, you can't think Vientos or Beatty is going to play any first base. Not that Beatty's a first baseman, but you understand what I'm saying here. Um, so I, I don't know. Looking at the way things are now, would you go after a third baseman in the offseason? Um, at the moment, I would just go the Beatty route and hope for the best. I think um, it is, it's weird. I haven't, even though I've started to look at the uh, free agents at several positions, I would say, you know, third base wasn't really one of them. <laughs> right. And I, I don't know what you do there. Um, uh, hey, Justin Turner, maybe, maybe he wants to come back for one year. You know, that could be an option, uh, but there, there's not a lot out there in terms of players who I think would sign a short-term deal. Um, and I, I have to think that Beatty is still their ideal long-term yes. uh, third baseman. So, you know, it's, it's slim pickings in that free agent market anyway. Um, there's a lot of guys who have had good major league seasons, but for most of them, it's been a while uh, who are set to hit free agency. They are all, and again, as a defender of players in their thirties, they are mostly well into their thirties. Uh, you know, but Matt Chapman had somewhat of a bounce back first half really as a hitter, but he's come back down to earth. Um, you know, always known as an excellent defender, but not somebody who I think you could count on to be a, a plus player at the plate and in the field moving forward. And he's probably the best of the bunch. Um, you know, Josh Donaldson is toast. <clears throat> you know, uh, Evan Longoria is 38 and far from what he was in his heyday with the Rays. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Moustakis, uh, <laughs> Mike Moustakis has a $20 million club option that I guarantee will not be picked up. <laughs> uh, you, you know, so yeah, 39 year old, Justin Turner, um, could be a nice bring him back kind of story. Um, I suppose you could always give Turner a fair amount of DH at bats if Beatty is looking better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so Tur Turner's, <laughs> I, I just get the feeling that, you know, Turner got considerably better when he left the Mets and he will get considerably worse when he comes back to the Mets. That's just the way that Justin Turner's story seems to go. Yeah, that is also old. Right. It would not surprise me. Um, but it's one of those things that when a guy is doing what they do, like his WRC plus has been within four points uh, on, a, on a single season basis. It's been between 126 two years ago and 122 this year. Um, you know, his, his war totals are, are definitely lower. Part of that is that he is playing the field less, uh, and DHs don't rack up war like, like position players do. 
Um, you know, he's hit 17 home runs this year, been a totally respectable bat. That is somebody who could be appealing to bring in, but that's not somebody who I'd bring in in, in a way that's like, oh yeah, Beatty's not our third baseman anymore. Right. You know, like you said, um, Turner would be a massive upgrade over what they've gotten at DH this year. Yes. So if you can bring him in and he does, he has like a weird option situation where his buyout's very high, but it's a, it's a player option. So, you know, he could look at it. One of two things, either, um, you know, I'm not, I I don't want to stick around with the Red Sox for another year. Um, or, I could just make more money if I, you know, if I take the buyout and then go out and get another one-year contract with maybe another option on it. Right. Um, yeah, there are, there are very few players who are still productive and, you know, look at looking at things and saying like, hey, you know what, I'm going to retire. <laughs> like, right, right. You know, that, that competitive aspect of it, I think a lot of them – want to keep playing until they feel like they can't anymore. But um, yeah, I don't know. Did the 2024 Mets hopes hinge on Justin Turner's decision-making? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I hope not. But if they, if they do nothing and they just go in with, you know, the rest of the infield presumably is set. Um, I, I don't know how to figure out Jeff McNeil. Because oh, no idea, you know, coming, coming off the down year he had in 21, I was, I was kind of done with him. Not not like demanding that the Mets trade him or anything, but I had come to a point that I was like, you know what? If they do, it's fine. Uh, I can see the rationale for it. And then he goes and and wins with a batting, batting title, title, and it's yeah. just incredible. And then this year has looked pretty much like twenty one. Um, so it's been a roller coaster of sort of what you know where I've been with him um and some people were adamantly opposed to trading him ever some have been more down on him than 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 i have been at any point um but now you look at the last three seasons combined and because two of them have been you know below league average the overall line since the start of the 2021 season is 282 348 391 and i you don't need jeff mcneil to be um a power hitter in the sense that he can put up 20 home runs a year. Um, but I, I can't recall a player who's had such an up and down sort of approach to power. Uh, it's been mostly down, but the, you know, he, right. he goes and he hits 23 home runs in 2019. Um, he still hit over 300 that year. And then it felt like ever since then, it's been presented as this either or situation between him having a high batting average and and hitting home runs. But the average was there, the power was there, and then the average was there and the power wasn't. And then neither of them were there. (laughs) Right. Uh, I don't know. I I hope this is not um, all indicative of a decline. And I think McNeil is a, a pretty damn good success story. Like this is not somebody who came up as a highly touted prospect, at least not early in his career. Right. Um, and a lot of that was because he was injured and he was super skinny. I mean, he by no means is he like 
a big guy these days, but you know, he was, he was a, just a small injured guy early in his career who was known for making contact. And he has far exceeded, I think anything um, that would have been projected for him, but I don't know. Does he get that back? Does he have another like well above league average season or two left in him on, on this contract that he's on, you know? Um, and that whole McNeil tangent is, is my, it's part of how I'm looking at the infield where I still think you'd say Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo are locked in for next year. And in that context, if you think all three of them can be good and two of them have consistently been good, um, then I think it's okay to go into next season with Beatty as your top, uh, you know, the top guy for your third base. Um, obviously there's a little bit of risk there, but I, I'd be okay with it. Uh, you know, it's not an unreasonable thing for a team to do uh, if they're going into a season thinking that they can be in the mix for one of three wild card spots. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that all that makes a lot of sense. Um, it is McNeil is a confounding guy, and although I, I think we all celebrated his extension last offseason, that is looking like <laughs> that could be a pretty bad decision for the Mets. If uh, if this season is how he looks over the next four for his uh, – hang on, was it a four-year extension or a five-year? I know there was an option year. It's a four-year extension. So if the next three seasons look like this year – that's that's a lot of money that maybe could have been spent elsewhere. However, if it's the next three years look like last year, it's going to look like a steal. It's a very, very strange extension Yeah, in terms of how it's going to be considered. Yeah, and, and all you'd have to do is have one season like 2022. Uh, and again, not that we're sitting here you know, counting up surplus value for Steve Cohen's uh, <laughs> payroll. Right, right, exactly. But but if, you know, if you're judging a, a player and his performance living up to the contract, if he has one year that is great, then that contract was, was pretty much worth it. Um, yeah. If we're looking at, at OPS Plus, so far this season, he is exactly in line with the 2021 season. Yeah, 87 for both seasons. And again, his other four full seasons in the majors, OPS Plus is of 138, 143, 130, and 141. So, yeah. you, you know, know, you know you the hope problem? these are blips. What's that? I kept him on a fantasy roster this year. There yeah. you go. We've, we've solved I'm, it. I'm sorry. Uh, this is the first year since I was in high school that I did not do any fantasy baseball. Oh, wow. I was just very, very busy at the start of the season with the new podcast network starting and all of that. And so I didn't, I, I, I chose not to uh, do it this year and uh, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that says about my love of fantasy baseball, but I don't have to miss it at all this year. Um, is there anything else you want to talk? Oh, we just talking about Starling Marte is on the IL again with his hip injury. Yeah, Same injury as Grand injury, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, same injury as his off-season surgery. And um, we all thought this year maybe he was playing hurt. And it looks like that is exactly what was happening. And it's it's frustrating because... I mean, it's frustrating for a bunch of reasons. Like, Marte seems like a good dude. You want to see that guy succeed. You want to You want him to be healthy for obvious reasons. But also the Mets just have this very long history that we can talk about for a million more years about them just 
letting players play hurt or letting players play half hurt. And I know all teams do this, but I pay most attention to the Mets. Therefore, I think the Mets do it more. You know, Marte has another two years left in his contract. And this season he was, you know, I mean, let's, let's look at the actual numbers here. His OPS plus is 75. For this season, batting 248, 301, 324. Five home runs. Only seven doubles. I mean, this is just not the Starling Marte that we've that we've come to know. So we knew something was wrong. And I truly hope that this is the first step in getting him back to where he should be. Probably not this season, probably next season. But, I mean, do you think that this could possibly be a the beginning of the end for Starling Marte as a productive major league player? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. I, I have some hope that that's not the case because I do seem to recall, um, early in spring training or the middle of spring training, whenever it was that he started doing stuff in spring training games this year, I seem to recall there being some, uh, hesitancy or, 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 um, like disclaimer, I you know I don't know what the right word is, but there was some indication that maybe he wasn't a hundred percent yet, and he was getting worked into games. Um, and it didn't seem like the most egregious example, right? Like I don't I don't expect to uh, read a Starling Marte memoir one day and and have him say that Steve Cohen came into the clubhouse and told him you better be out there I got spring training tickets to sell <laughs> right right the, the the Jeff Wilpon Pedro equivalent of of pitching hurt in, in a lost season um late in the year uh, right I, I don't think that was the case here I I think maybe they got to a point that it was kind of like all right you know rehab from surgery is complete Let's give this a go. And it just didn't work out. So, um, you know, there, there are players who hit their mid-30s and just lose it, um, even without injuries being a part of the equation. Um, but I, I kind of am curious to see what he looks like with an off season of, of rest or, you know, I mean, with the injury resurfacing is, is another surgery needed. Um, that would raise a whole new set of concerns about the ability to, to fully recover. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like he is the biggest question mark. Like, whereas Beatty, you can say, Hey, look, he showed he could hold his own, uh, the league adjusted to him. He didn't make that adjustment back, but that is a totally normal thing for a player in their, you know, early twenties to go through. You know, there's there's enough there to to have a logical case that says that Brett Beatty can be uh, a good hitter again as soon as next year. But with Marte, I feel like it's just such an unknown. Um, it will that injury fully resolve itself? Um, by the time spring training rolls around. And I think, you know, you, you never want to jump to conclusions. Um, I think of people freaking out over Lucas Duda's lack of power in like the first week of spring training or something, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. You, you don't want to put too much stock in 
that. But I think with Marte, it'll be fairly evident in the first week or two of spring training games whether or not he, um, whether or not he's healthy and. Uh, to have the migraine issue thrown on top of everything else, I'm sure has just been extremely unpleasant for him um, just as a human being. And also as somebody who's trying to get out there and compete. Um, But there was a play in the brief window between him returning from the migraines and then hitting the injury, uh, the injured list again with the groin injury. Um, There was a fly ball in right center where, where he took a bad route, uh, but then he just he just kind of stopped. I don't know if you'd seen that play in real time, and, and like all of us are not fully watching the Mets anymore this season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's a divided attention experience at best right now. Um, but I, I happened to be watching that play when it happened, and, and you know, my first reaction was you know texting with Mets friends and whatnot, and and in in Slack and Discord and everything. Uh, like he's he's not fully healthy and, and not just from the migraine and Gary Cohen had you know pretty much the exact same reaction that it, it's not like Marte is a player who would just give up on a fly ball right um, and and this you know he took a bad route but then he just didn't even turn didn't like like nothing it, it was like his batteries ran out you know and I hope we get to see the normal version of him again. He, you know, before he got hurt last year, um, he was He's a, having a fantastic season. Yeah. He was a big reason the Mets won a hundred games. Um, you know, he, he adjusted nicely to right field. Uh, I like, he wasn't going to win a gold glove out there or anything, but he, he had changed positions in the outfield had done so successfully. Um, was just a really good all-around player. Uh, I mean, even this year, I think he's among the team leaders in stolen bit bases, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um, he has. I mean, he has twenty-four this season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So even with the rules that make stolen bases a you know a somewhat cheapened experience, in my opinion, um, <laughs> it is you know it's still something to be leading the team in that category uh, when you've missed a lot of time with injury and not been fully healthy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, let's, let's hope it is not permanent decline and let's hope that he does get back and is fully healthy. And we, we get to another, see another season or two of it, but if he and McNeil get off to slow starts next year, then I think you have to consider, you know, whether or not they should be your starting options. Um, as soon as next trade deadline, you know? Right. Or at least whether both of them should be your starting options. Maybe you could live with one of those guys in the lineup, but probably not both of those guys. Yeah. What's amazing is when we look at the big offseason in 2021 into 2022, when the Mets brought in Scherzer, um, Canna, Marte, and Escobar, uh, only one of those players is still playing for the Mets. Yeah. And to be fair, part of that is that contracts were going to expire, etc. But Scherzer had an option. Canna had an option. Marte has two more years. Um, did Escobar have an option? I don't think so. 
No, I think he was a straight two-year deal. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, quite the uh, quite the change from from the Mets of even a month ago in terms of the uh, the lineups and that and the the concerns. And it's it's, it's going to be a very very weird rest of the year. Uh, but we'll be here for it. Uh, but before then, Chris, what are you listening to? What's your music pick for this week? Uh, real quick, I'm going to correct myself. Escobar does have a team option for a third year at 10 million. That's not okay. going to be picked up. Nope. Um, sorry, Eduardo. Uh, I, I, did, <laughs> I really enjoyed his personality and watching him play for the Mets. Absolutely, but, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this evening I have. I'm going to be photographing and seeing uh, Lee Ronaldo playing music in a very different. Uh, band from the bands that he's best known for um obviously as a member of the legendary sonic youth uh, and they're a band that would get experimental from time to time uh no <laughs> doubt about that but you know uh, he's going to be playing a much more uh experimental sort of out there show upstate uh later today and i'm very excited to get to go see that uh he's playing with yonatan gat who uh, had a record that you had recommended sometime within the last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> my album recommendation is the Lee Ronaldo record that fits uh, in between these two things, Sonic Youth and, and what I'm seeing him do today. Uh, and he does still play his like solo stuff, um, I think. Like, you know, his more standard rock solo stuff. Um, but... Recently, you know, I've seen his name pop up doing doing things a little more on the experimental side. But the record, anyway, is called Between the Times and the Tides. Um, I can't believe it came out in 2012, which I guess I should have pieced that together because he opened for Wilco at Omegang when, like, I had been up to the area now that we uh, inhabit. I had been up to the Hall of Fame as a child, but I, I hadn't gone back until... Wilco played at Oma Gang, um, and that was that was that summer uh, of 2012. So Lee Ronaldo had uh, just put this record out. Um, he opened for them. I forget whether or not he came out and like played a song with them. It seems like that's something that would have happened, but I just don't recall with complete certainty uh, whether or not it did. But uh, just start to finish. This is a, you know, this is a really good record. Uh, I always loved his voice. I mean, one of the coolest things with Sonic Youth was that Kim Gordon, Thurston Moore, and Lee Ronaldo all had lead vocal duties on on their songs. Um, and I love bands that that do that and, and give you that variety. Um, I mean, if you get, if you've got like a fantastic lead singer, then uh, you know. I get it. Nobody else is going to get that role, but <laughs> you know, they, like every once in a while you'll hear uh, in, in a Wilco show. Um, it's just that simple. Right. With John <clears throat> on the lead vocal and Jeff Tweedy, not, not, but yeah, vast majority of the time is Tweedy. But in the case of Sonic Youth, I enjoyed all three of their songs equally. Um, throughout the Sonic Youth catalog. And as devastating as it was for that band to end, um, I have really enjoyed some of the work that they've all done since then. So, uh, yeah, 
Again, between the times and the tides, I am pretty sure Nels Klein plays a little guitar on the record uh, with Lee Ronaldo. I probably should have confirmed that before I gave the album recommendation today, but I seem to recall that being a thing. And and those of you who like Brian and myself uh, have listened to Nels's work. Uh, if I am correct about that, you'll pick up on it because you you know he's just one of those guitarists who you can hear his sound whether you knew he was on that song or not so um i think that's the case and uh those line plays guitar and lap steel on the record yes there we go thank you so yeah with that give it a listen um i guess i'd say like if you never listen to sonic youth don't start here but but if you did listen to this record because i like it you know, start with like the absolutely best stuff, uh, you know, that, that could be produced by this group of musicians. But, um, you know, similar to the Beatles, there has been some really good solo stuff that's come out from the pieces of Sonic Youth. Um, and yeah, I, I, I should listen to the, rec- the record more myself uh, because I really do like it. And uh, it's appropriate pick today. So, yeah. So I can't believe I haven't picked the thing I'm going to talk about today yet. Um, but uh, the circumstances of the past week, I, I usually actually, I, I think I've always wanted to pick this on Thanksgiving because of why I'm going to talk about it in a second. But the events of the last week being what they were, I had to pick this now. Um, this week we lost Robbie Robertson, guitar player and main songwriter for the band. Um, the band is one of my favorite musical uh rabbit holes that i fall down a couple times a year uh they are they are just a an incredible collection of musicians and the story is just so sad and robertson is the uh the fourth member of the band to pass away of the five and so that leaves just garth hudson who is i believe living in a assisted living in upstate new york right now not doing too well either and so the story is because you know, it's sadder and sadder, but uh, the band retired from the road in 1976 by playing a concert they called The Last Waltz. And The Last Waltz is a concert film that is amazing. Uh, the concert took place on Thanksgiving, and it is my tradition whenever I'm cooking Thanksgiving me- my Thanksgiving meal, I am watching The Last Waltz in the background as I cook. I listen to the album a couple times a year, all the way through. And when I say all the way through, it is quite the lengthy record. If you're listening to the um, the full concert, I'm trying to do a quick uh, quick math here as I'm talking. Uh, the, the the full concert is let's see, it's something like thirty four songs, thirty six, and some of those are quite long. Um, the band brought out. On their on this final concert, basically people that influenced them or they shared the stage with in the past, they got to start as the backing band for Ronnie Hawkins. So he is there. Bob Dylan is there. Uh, Neil Young is there. Joni Mitchell, Dr. John, Van Morrison, um, Neil Diamond of all people comes out for a song. Um, and it is just it is. It, it I always go back and forth between whether the last waltz or Stop Making Sense is the best concert film of all time. Um, and I, 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 today it's the last waltz. Tomorrow it'll probably be Stop Making Sense for me. 
But Robertson is an incredible guitar player, an incredible songwriter, seemingly not a nice guy, but uh, who knows? You know, the media has a way of distorting all of that. Um, but if you're unfamiliar with the band, even though I, I almost never will tell you to check out a live record as the best description, uh, as the best experience of, of who a band is, The Last Waltz is the definitive recording of the band. Um, and just to watch them go from playing rockabilly to New Orleans sort of, uh, you know, jazz to backing Joni Mitchell on the sort of uh, slightly psychedelic Laurel Canyon stuff to being uh, the perfect Van Morrison backing band to their own incredible music. It's just I, I can think of very few bands that can pull off the breath of different sounds that they get on on the last waltz so um yeah rest in peace robbie robertson uh also a great film composer did a bunch of work with martin scorsese including his upcoming film um but yeah just uh we're getting to the age where classic rockers are going to be dying off far more frequently and although i i don't consider myself a, a I mean, I, I certainly like my share of classic rock. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not one of these classic rock only guys, right? But just the people that mean a lot to us from our childhood, from our adolescence, whatever it is, they're going to start passing away sooner. I mean, it's just at a quicker pace, and it's going to keep being sad. But today we're sad about Robbie. So uh, rest in peace, Robbie Robertson. Check out The Last Waltz by the band. Uh, we should also mention a connection between Chris's album and my album is that uh, every year there is a uh, recreation of the last waltz that happened at the Capitol Theater in Port Chester, New York, and Nels Klein is simply a part of that. So, yes. Yeah. There we go. An excellent recommendation. Um, what a quick follow up question: Is Garth Hudson the one in the film who talks about having been like classically trained? Yes. Yes. And then he goes to play in a rock band and like doesn't tell his parents about it because that was such like uh, you know yeah okay they had they all had to pay him ten dollars a week for lessons for his parents to allow him to be in the band yeah that's right it's <laughs> crazy um but yeah uh thanks for listening as always we appreciate it go to uh, patreon.com slash home applesauce to support the podcast directly chris is on social media at chris mcshane i am on social media at brian needs an app until next time let's go Mets.